right, all right. Welcome, everyone. I think we are ready to rock and roll today. We had a couple little tech gremlins, but you know, that does happen, right, Brianna? Yeah, I think I think we're ready. Last minute, we're ready to go. I've been fighting with mine for 30 minutes, but I always know it's going to work by the end of it. So we're here. Happy to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Good job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So welcome, everybody. Crypto Talk with Brandon Scott. We are here live in the universe today, going to talk about all things crypto. Uh, my name is J. Scott McMillan, and my YouTube channel is called Crypto for the Rest of Us, where I like to help people that aren't really familiar with crypto to understand why, what it's all about, why it's important to learn about it, get involved, invest in it, and how it is going to change the world, but more importantly, change your life. And now I'd like to introduce Brianna Turk. Hi guys, I'm Brianna and I have a YouTube channel called Purified People. And within my channel, I talk about breaking down all the areas of our life, which includes our financial life, um, in hopes to create an upward trend on an accelerated path, kind of like the blue chips, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and crypto, and um, an accelerated path to success. So um, that's my mission within my channel. And I've been studying heavily this year. That's how I met Scott. We met within a DeFi course through London Real, and now we're doing our weekly calls. We're going live every week. We missed last week, but we're back again. So very happy to be here. And I think you're coming from, are you in Cal or you're in the Pacific Northwest again, aren't you, Scott? Yeah, I'm, I'm in your neck of the woods. Uh, yeah, so I, uh, here in Montana and uh, just cross away over from Idaho. So we are, uh, we are coming live from Pacific Northwest uh, in charge, large and in charge, I think is how you say it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, looking forward to it myself. Um, it's it's always fun to do and, and to get there and keep that uh, momentum. And so we are going to talk about all the fun things in crypto today. Um, I had told Brianna earlier that I might go on another rant, but you know, I'm not feeling rantish today. Uh, I'm feeling pretty mellow. Um, the articles that I have pulled up, kind of just the various ones, and we're just going to get into it and see. And sometimes I like to prepare some sort of educational piece, but I think I didn't. And I think that uh, whatever we touch on, you know, Brianna and I will try to go into, you know, why we think it's even important for anyone to know. And as much detail as, you know, we feel comfortable, you know, talking about. Um, and, you know, the merge has been everywhere, right? And so I thought, oh, I want to do a deep dive into the merge. And I think I have an article that talks a little bit about it. Oh, I do. I have a fun one that actually, Brian, it's going to be fun. It actually goes into like the really ugly detail of like what's going to happen in the merge, stuff that I have no clue what's going on. And I'm guessing most people that watch this aren't going to have a clue either, but it'll show you how kind of interesting it is. Like we all talk about the merge and what's going to happen with the theory of and everything, but behind the scenes is a lot of really technical stuff. And I just have like a little chart that kind of shows some of the crazy stuff that's going on. Um, and so that should be kind of fun. Uh, but other than that, you got anything before we kick in? Let's get straight to it. I'm excited that you're talking about the merge. And um, like you said, we'll I mean, get who to is it? Uh, right. I know it's, this has been a long time coming. I'm so excited. So I'm glad that you picked articles on that. 
I, I uh, took a little bit of a different approach today, so I will share that with my articles. And yeah, let's just get okay. straight to it. So our, is my right. screen. Hold on, let me, not yet. Oh, before we move to there, if you're on live here and you're joining us, say hi in the, in the chats. If you're there on Facebook or YouTube, say hi to us. And uh, if anybody wants to actually come on and chat with us, uh, I'll see if I can send you the link uh, and you could click on that and actually come on live on camera. We'll see if we can fit three screens on here. We'll see. Uh, if not, then we can just talk back and chat. Let us know if you have any topics or subjects that you want us to talk about. So we can certainly do that. All righty. So let me get over here to your screen. There you are. Okay. There's your first article. There you go. Okay. So am I still up there? You are. Okay, great. Sorry. I'm, I'm using a different computer today. I had technical difficulties, like I said, so it's running a little different for me, but okay. So today I'm bringing up the topic of Coinbase. Coinbase is a central exchange and it's a, one of the most familiar ones, probably to most people. I think if I'm right, I think Binance is number one and then Coinbase follows. Is that right, Scott? I think you're right. I think, uh, I don't know. I think I either, either. Yeah. Either one are, it's one and two for sure. And actually I'm going to talk, this was released yesterday and I, I found it interesting um, because I use Coinbase. I used to use it a lot more than I do now, but I like to know about the companies that I am working with and investing my money into and just how it works. But I took something else from this article as well that I'll, that I will um, go into as well. So Coinbase a crypto exchange whose CEO previously said it doesn't advocate for any particular causes or candidates internally that are unrelated to our mission has launched a voter registry portal as part of a crypto policy education initiative. And so I found this interesting chief policy officer, and I'm going to butcher the name Faryar Sherzad. Aryar Shazad said the crypto exchange will offer users the opportunity to register to vote in the United States through a Capital Canary website. Voter registration tool was part of an initiative aimed at giving the crypto community tools to participate in the critical policy discussions happening across the United States. What he goes on to say is that being informed and engaged in issues around the 2022 U.S. midterm elections were mission critical for the future of crypto, given the lawmakers will be making key decisions about how crypto, blockchain, and Web3 are regulated. Today, more than ever, crypto and Web3 cemented as topics of public interest and the pol political debate. Political candidates are talking about them, the public is interested in them, and the crypto community wants to help shape them. He also added that in the next few years, legislation and regulation will be developed that will help shape the direction of our industry for the coming decade. It is essential that our elected leaders understand the potential of crypto and support a policy framework that fosters continued innovation here in the United States. According to the policy head, Coinbase staff don't regularly talk about politics. And this is what I found really interesting as CEO Brian Armstrong made waves in September 2020 following a blog post in which he described the crypto exchange as laser focused on achieving its mission as part of a company that largely abstained from engaging in US politics. We don't advocate for any particular causes or candidates internally that are unrelated to our mission because it is a distraction from our mission, said Armstrong at the time. Even if we all agree something is a problem, we may not all agree on the solution. 
So he, the Coinbase CEO clarified the crypto exchange might engage if there's a bill introduced around crypto, but not around topics including healthcare and education. So I found this really interesting and I read multiple articles on Brian Armstrong's stance within his company to not talk politics. And um, the reason why I chose this article and why it relates to me is because I work on trying to create that upward trend in my life and try to inspire that through my channel. And one thing that I find is that there are major distractions that come into play that can kind of take you off of that focus and lose your momentum and sidetrack you. So I really liked hearing and I was motivated by Brian Armstrong's stance as staying laser focused on achieving their mission. And he brought that forth in many ways. They don't talk politics within their um, any of their employees. They don't talk politics. And it was a couple of years ago when Brian Armstrong was asked through in his, within his company what his stance was on one of the movements, I believe it was the Black Lives Matter movement, on what his stance was. And he refused to give his stance because he wanted to separate that completely from their mission. And I, it was about 5% of their company at that point made their own statement for him not bringing forth his interest and his side they left the company they took their um their goodbye bags or whatever they're called i saw that and i saw that and yeah. i thought that was really interesting okay. too it's like hey that you know that's good everybody's up front <laughs> and it's up front yeah and i just i found that really interesting and you know there's a lot of I see a lot, you know, always when you're looking at the media, you see a lot of different views and perspectives on the different CEOs. You hear that Brian Armstrong and Coinbase are now working with the government and what all these different theories and ideas. Um, but I do like to see inside companies' missions. And I also like to take that, that perspective and carry it over to myself with my mission um, to stay laser focused on what I'm working on and continue on that upward trend, not get sidetracked. Politics have a tendency to do that. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I found that interesting. Yeah, it's a good one. I have one, I have one, uh, a Coinbase one too. I think it's a, it's a little bit different, a little bit different article, but yeah, Coinbase is all over the news <laughs> anyways. Yeah. They are. And I'm kind of curious where that's going to lead. I can almost see us voting through Coinbase or a central exchange, something that's on a digital ledger. It'll be interesting to see. Well, it is. And actually, how this all I, plays I, out. So, yeah, I wonder when we're going to start doing that. And in fact, I thought that this article, the article you have, was going to talk more about that. And then it kind of got into some different stuff. But um, it's sort of surprising to me that nobody's, I haven't really seen a lot of this like using the blockchain to, to vote. I don't understand why. I mean, it seems like this is such an obvious thing. I know that it's going to probably be a bigger deal, you know, but no one's even talking about it, hardly. Mm -hmm. I think I read I, it in an article at one point, and I think it kind of led me into this one eventually as I was digging through the rabbit hole. But um, I think that there were talks. It wasn't anything that was going to for sure happen, but I think it was more of an idea. What if we started to vote? through, you know, and use the blockchain and how that would work. And it does seem like, like you said, a no brainer to go that route to at least verify that they're accurate. Yeah. And somebody has got to be testing this now, you know, I mean, the, the, it seems like, yeah, like it, like the blockchain is sort of built for this and that it's simple, 
but there must be something behind it because otherwise I think more people would be talking about it. So maybe uh, if anybody has any info on that, leave us a chat or um, even if you're watching us on the replay, just comment in there if you know anything about using blockchain for voting, you know, in, in, in any way. Um, and then maybe we can uh, do some research on that too. All right. So what yeah. do you got next? Okay, I'll, I'll head on to the next one. So this one, I... Need I might need a little help. Raul, Raul is my man. I love Raul Powell. <laughs> from your from your something about him isn't there. I I remember it was just I remember the first time I watched an interview with him and it just clicked something for me. That you do like him He's or great. you don't? Oh, you like him. Good. I do. Me too. I do. Yeah, I do. Real Vision. I actually just so, decided Raul- Real Vision. Um, I actually uh-huh. have an account. I have a, a full blown account with them. I love all their stuff. Um, and it's, cause they have a lot of in just general finance stuff too. So I'm learning a lot about general finance through real vision. And I, it's, what's interesting about that. Oh, let me click over here. What I think what's cool about that is that I, you know, I don't want to learn finance from a textbook, like an old school textbook, or certainly from CNBC where they're just sort of arguing back and forth, but Real Vision, which Raul Powell is one of the the founders of, um, you know, they they're he's just talking to all his buddies that are you know bigwigs in all of the investment firms and the big banks, and you know also in crypto he's big in crypto but he's big in general finance he comes from a you know long term you know investing uh, you know Wall Street kind of background, but he's big in, into crypto but they just have such great videos their quality is such high quality so that's just definite plug for. Uh, Real Vision, and um, uh, yeah, I love them. So go ahead. Sorry. And by the way, you are fading in and out just a little bit. Uh, if I think we can't hear, I might have you repeat, but mostly we're getting what you're saying. So go ahead. Okay. I need to get a hold of Raul Paul's good quality video, that's for sure. <laughs> okay, so Real Vision. Raul Paul says that Bitcoin can still erupt and route to outperforming other asset classes in the next 10 years, even in the worst case scenario. In, in, in a discussion with Scott Milker on YouTube, um, he explains how the more extreme an asset's inherent volatility is, the higher it could potentially so what he states here is that volatility gives the reward because it's a 70 vol asset. It gives these 20x, 50x, 100x rewards, depending what time period you are looking at. People are not, are people just are not set up for that because they are mean reversionists. He says they think the world is cyclical and everything reverts back to where it was. So therefore, every boom has a bust and every bust brings it back to where it started. But that's not what's happening here or it's not what happens here, it is an exponential trend. So every bust is significantly higher. I mean, Bitcoin 4,000, Bitcoin 20,000, that's low to low. He says that's extraordinary, but people don't see that. They're not used to it. They don't know how to deal with it. People are having to learn, all of us did. And then Paul goes on to recount his observations of being an early Bitcoin investor when the asset was still valued well below 1,000, noting that he believe Bitcoin will ultimately be worth 1 million or 100,000 at a minimum and could even go as high 
as a million dollars. So I, I, and I have a little bit more to go on with that, but this is something that I wish I would have understood not only before I was ever invested, but at the beginning is just that long-term outlook and more about what the charts do, understanding what volatility actually is and why it's a positive. So um, it's one reason I chose this article is because it brought me back to how much I've actually gained to understand. I don't ever know what the market's gonna do next. I don't know if I'll ever know, but I, I at least understand where I can take the least amount of risk and where to invest that I feel comfortable in and that I, where I feel that it's the confidence that the market will come back up in those particular points. That's actually well said, uh, that statement, you know, because no one knows what the market's going to do, really. Even Raul, you know, doesn't know. Um, and, and we don't know exactly, certainly when or how low or how high. But what we do know, like what Raul is saying, is that because of the nature of Bitcoin and the blockchain and network effects, um, this this it's go when it goes low, it's going to come back and go back higher. And this mean reversion is really interesting. And I don't fully understand all of that. And he starts talking about vols. Um, and it's interesting because when he's talking about other general finance, he's a big macro guy. So he loves to talk about the macro uh, economy as a whole, which I find also interesting. But he throws out a lot of terms like that. And I'm sometimes I'm Googling or trying to catch up. But um, it is interesting. And I totally agree with you. And it's a, it, that's what this is all about. And one of the things that I really tell people is, and I, you know, I'm putting together, uh, actually I'm putting together finishing touches on my webinar uh, for uh, Crypto for the Rest of Us program, which we're going to be launching soon. And, you know, I say right in there, you know, that, that one of the false views that I think a lot of people have is finding these coins that you think are going to shoot to the moon and putting your eggs in, in that basket. And what I think a lot of people do and a lot of people teach is to, uh, you know, find 10, 10 coins, but, or 15 or 20, a lot of people do, right? Um, and then they're hoping that one of them is going to go to the moon and that that's all they need. When I got into the, in, into crypto, that's what I heard all over the place. It's like, you know, find these, you know, top 20 coins, you know, and one of them's going to, one of them's going to go to the moon. You're going to make a lot of money. And I really reject that idea for your base uh, your base portfolio, right? I really think that you need to have a, a long-term view. And then, of course, my bias is towards DeFi and earning yield. And that's also a long-term view. Once you have your goals set up, once you've got your retirement sort of set up and you've got money in, you know, these uh, Bitcoin, let's say, and and maybe some DeFi protocols that are earning a really high yield. And then you say, okay, for the next 10 years, five to 10 years, I'm going to leave it in there, put more into it and put my, set up my goals, you know, then if you've got some money left over and you've got some new things or you get a bonus, then you can play. Then you can maybe speculate on, you know, a fun coin that might go to the moon or, you know, again, there's just lots of other areas and, and, you know, there's people that really love NFTs that put a lot of money into that. For me, that would be play money. That would be like, you know, once I've got my goals set up, then I'll play around with maybe some NFTs and maybe some metaverse plays. But this is all new that I learned in the last, I would say, three to six months, really putting together a curriculum 
and thinking really strategically like, okay, how can this be, how can crypto be used as a retirement investment strategy? And really it just comes down to having a plan, having a goal, set that up and then allocate resources, you know, accordingly and then play. And crypto is so big. There's so many cool areas in there that you can, you know, you can pick any area and it, you know, it, it's a lot of fun. In fact, one of the things, I don't know if I'll have time today, but I was thinking, oh, actually, I didn't get my uh, my sandbox uh, up, but I thought we could, and maybe we'll do it next week, is is we'll get in there and we'll just, we'll go live and we'll play around in the sandbox and show people because, you know, that's super fun and interesting. And, you know, you and I know some people that are investing heavily in land, which is great. It's not my, you know, bailiwick right now, but I'm not sure why I got in that tangent, but I, I think really because you started talking about the, the this idea that, you know, when we start off in crypto, we're kind of like, you know, we're little babies. And we don't know. And what mostly the noise is, is find these crazy coins and ride them to the moon. Right. And then when you get in there, it's like there's a lot more strategies. And so what this is, is really the basis that everybody should understand in crypto, even from the baby people that just barely understand it to the very advanced. Again, in my opinion, that. Bitcoin is going to go up and down, but it will trend up just like the stock market does, but maybe even more because it's going to go a lot higher. And when you start throwing in things like network effects and the fact that it, um, you know, the blockchain and crypto are going to kind of take over finance altogether eventually, then it's, it kind of is a no brainer to me. So sorry to kind of hijack your uh, your article there, but <laughs> it's 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 a it's a really good point. So good job. Yeah, no, that was great. I it's I really appreciate that outlook too, and it's it's been a transformation for me, um, and my transformation has gone from thinking this was only something to invest and possibly earn rewards on, and make money on, you know, over a short period of time, over a long period of time, whatever it may be, um, and that's just where I don't have a big finance a background in finance, but as I'm going along this understanding, I'm also understanding what determines value. And when we're looking at, like you said, we have our financial system is going to be changing so much and going more toward a, it looks like we're going to be heading more toward, toward a digital. Um, that's where, you know, we'll have CBDCs potentially, it looks like it. And mm. um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Boo to that. And so that is where, you know, it almost seemed at one point like that was the only option I never compared before the two interlinked together that where I see within Bitcoin, especially, is that it's a store of value. And so where do I want to store my money for and have it hold value? And that's where I wanted to bring up just this quick little chart here. And this is where I'll probably need your help. But this is something that somebody shared with me a couple of months ago, and it just shows Americans finances. And so if we're looking at at the, at the value of our dollar right now and what is behind that value. And um, so, excuse me, here, let's see. Okay, so right here, we're looking at the United States, this little yellow area is the deficit, and then we have our green revenue. And then this shows our debt accumulation over time. Obama, and then our debt 
just continue to go down and down. There's where Trump begins. Here's COVID and debt and more debt and more debt. And so in my mind, what I ask myself is where is the value behind our dollar? Where is the value? And every time my dollar is sitting within a bank account, what does it even mean? (laughs) And, you know, what does that even signify? What does it stand for? Um, And, you know, a lot of people ask, what's the value of Bitcoin? What's the value? It's not tangible. It's not something that I can hold. And, you know, we know a lot of the benefits, you and I, Scott, and maybe some of our listeners who know about the true meaning behind Bitcoin, why it was developed and invented in the first place. There's many reasons why it holds value. It's permissionless, it's trustless, it's borderless. And it's not something that can be shut down. And so if we're looking at this, this is our dollar depreciating in value. And then if we go down here below, we have the Bitcoin chart. And this is something which maybe they're not comparable. And maybe you can help me with that as a comparison. Look at this. It's appreciating, appreciating. It's growing in value. It's growing in value. It's growing in value, but it's still ups and downs, but it's still on that upward trend at an exponential rate. The adoption for Bitcoin is higher than the adoption of the internet in the early early stages. And so it's just something that I wanted to share because it really opened my eyes when I started to understand the difference between the values within our current, our current financial system and then to store my money and have it appreciate and gain value. Yeah, I'm going to pop my. Oh, is this just money here. printing? Um, pretty much. Is that is that? Yeah. 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 While you're that's, while that's... you're talking, I'm going to just I'm just I'm hearing you, but I'm going to grab my charger. I'm just going to plug my computer in. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love this. Char- I love this so, uh, chart. This is a good one. Um, so I'm, I'm I haven't really seen it. On your thoughts. So I haven't seen this one like that, but I love it. I love the way it has the different presidents um, and, you know, what's been going on that has COVID in there. And this really shows that, you know, what the, this debt is. And it is primarily, primarily money printing, money printing. And you can, you know that because if you look the last significant times that we, that we needed to, um, print money to bail out in 2008, to bail out the economy in 2008, and then again in COVID. And you can see the sharp, sharp rise uh, in, uh, you know, or the depth of it as it shows here in, you know, since really 2009. Um, So you've got, yeah, you got uh, Obama here. So it just takes off really after, after Bush and then Obama. And I'm not saying, you know, this isn't anything to do with politically um, uh, at all. It's really what's been happening in the economy and the Fed and how uh, we use this money policy to to bail us out. And I find what's so interesting about this, and Ralph Powell talks a lot about this, um, and the guys on Real Vision, um, the people on Real Vision, that, that you know, th- this is something that the Fed has the power to do this. They've always had this since they've, it's been around. And it it can work and it does work but they they sometimes it, they leave it on. Like I think when they dropped interest rates back after two thousand nine, the crisis, uh, two thousand eight, two thousand nine crisis. You know they they left them low too long. I think they should have let interest rates rise up a little bit 
they left them really low and then we got into trouble and then we had to print more money. And then when you print money, when you have that much of debt, you're going to get inflation because you are. You're the value of the dollar. You're just debasing the value of the dollar. And so I've heard people say that inflation isn't so much that prices are going up. It's the fact that our dollars going that we the value of the dollar is so much less, you know, and it really doesn't matter. The bottom line is, is that every year that our dollar buys us less, we feel the pain, you know, and that's what it is. Now, the thing about the value, you know, in Bitcoin, what I don't really have a grasp on is like value to me is really uh, uh, it's ethereal. It's hard for me to grasp onto it because. Well, you just look at the dollar, and here's what I think happens to a lot of us. We, if, unless you are looking at charts and you're you're really thinking about inflation and money printing, you don't you it's almost like you don't realize what's happening with the value of the the dollar being debased, like the value going down, because a, a dollar. If you've got a dollar in your hand, you're like, oh, I can buy this thing, and. Um, it may take $2, but as long as I'm making money and if I've got a job, I'm going to make dollars and I'm going to pay for this thing. And other than in times like now where you've got hyperinflation around 9%, when it's around 2 or 3%, it, we don't, it's, it's kind of like boiling the frog in the hot water. It's like it's so slow, we don't really notice it. And yet, even at 2%, which is the Fed's rule that they want to keep the economy around 2% inflation, even that is basically just saying, okay, there's a 2% tax to live in the United States. Just that's it. To live here, you're going to get a 2% tax. And the thing is, it hits it hits the poor worse, especially when inflation goes up, because it hits us all equally. But people that don't make a lot, they get the same 9% inflation that people that make a lot. So inflation is really an insidious type of you know uh, concept. And and so again, that's what I find so interesting about the value. Now let's talk about Bitcoin. Again, value is, it's like, what is value? Especially when you're talking about Bitcoin. Cause you've got price, price goes up and down, but it's not the same as value, right? Because the other strange thing about Bitcoin or any crypto is if you are really, if you've got a lot of Bitcoin and then the price goes up, it feels like, oh my gosh, I've got a lot of money. And when you convert that back to dollars, like, oh, I got a lot of dollars. But you still have to convert it back to fiat to do anything with it, right? And so now you're you're back to this debased dollar. So even though your Bitcoin, the price has gone up and it looks big, when you convert it back to fiat, you've still got, a, you've got that debased dollar, you know, to buy things. And so it's kind of only when you look at it like the charts like this, where it kind of like, oh, wow. When you don't look at it like that, you don't really care because you're like, oh, I've got all this. I've got, you know, let's say I've got one Bitcoin or whatever, and I can cash it in for $20,000. Like, ooh, I can go buy something, you know, $20,000. But really, in the time, let's say that took you five years, you know, because Bitcoin went up, Bitcoin went down. And let's say you got your $20,000 out in that five years. Now you've cashed it back to fiat and the value of that fiat has gone down in those five years. Does that make sense at all? Yeah, you know, it's something, it's the value of the fiat that goes down. And it's something that has always um, confused me is if we have, if people are making all of these gains in 
in fiat, wouldn't it outdo, could it somehow outperform the fiat? And then, you know what I'm saying? Like, where does, where would that necessarily come from if people are making incredible money on cryptocurrency gains and then trying to bring it back to you always have to convert it back to dollars, right? And that's the interesting thing. And and so this is the interesting about cryptocurrencies, you know, it's that and not again, not all not all crypto projects are currencies, but you know you always are going to convert it back into dollar, the currency of the dollar or the euro, where you know, or whatever, you know, wherever you are, the yen, whatever country you're in. Um, and then you've got to deal with that. So it, it is a little bit misleading and it's, and it's, it's kind of confusing and it can, you can kind of get your brain wrapped around it when you have to kind of do that. And so what most people do is you just look at, you know, I started off here with my coins and now my value is up here or my, the price. But again, like I always say, right, Brianna, we both say this, you know, you don't gain or lose until you sell. So I just find that really interesting because people are like the sentiment or you're feeling like when crypto's up, and you got in low and now, you know, your your portfolio looks really good on paper. You feel good, but, you know, it doesn't always translate into reality, right? Because what if you hold on and next thing, boom, it goes down. Now, you and I just talked about Bitcoin in the long term will go back up. But when people bought in last fall at 50, 60 or whatever, and then had to write it down, they were all bummed out. Some people, you know, really, really bummed out and they don't even understand the fact that they didn't lose any money or value or anything, right? And so that may be the biggest thing to take away from your article. And that is when you look at Bitcoin in that chart that's up there now, you see that it goes up and it goes down. But every time it goes back up, it goes up higher. So um, I'll get back to the interview here. So that's the interesting thing is... is, um, I think that's the takeaway. It's like Bitcoin is going to go higher. All right, you're in and out. And also we have to keep in mind. Okay. I stopped my share, so hopefully that helps. Yeah, that might help. Go ahead. What were you going to say? In the future, if we have more people accepting Bitcoin, moving it back to the dollar. Without so then we back. would be transferring I'm not sure if you faded out. Without moving it back to the dollar. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, you're right. That At that point, then it's a different ballgame because now our Bitcoin gets transferred out in, in Bitcoin and we don't have to convert it to dollar. And that's really the, the was the hope, I think, in the dream, right, of the Satoshi was that we all switch over to this digital currency to Bitcoin or whatever. And so now all of the currencies were just transferring value from, you know, my wallet to your wallet or to the to the, um, uh, you know, the merchant's wallet, which they're taking Bitcoin and there's no conversion, you know, to fiat. And that's the dream. I don't know if we'll ever get there. Um but I do think that what's going to happen is as as crypto totally evolves, 
we're going to get little economies that will pop up where you can start to, and you can even do it now, right? You can pay stuff in crypto, but it's just not very much. But you look at these little economies where, you know, you can just have to, you, you can think just in say Bitcoin or whatever currency you're in, um, which makes it so much easier. Because right now it's kind of confusing. You know, you always have to think back into your fiat currency, you know, really, Am I doing really good or not? Well, you always have to convert it back to your fiat currency to, to really understand it. it, you know, to feel like I'm good. I, I can do stuff in my life with the value or the investments that I've invested in crypto. So this is why crypto is different. It's new. It's not for everybody. But if you can deal with sort of the complexities and the idiosyncrasies of it, uh, you can take you can get a lot of benefit. So, yeah, that's what I love about it. Hey, we got a comment here. Who is in yes. here? Bill Betha. B- Bill Bethia. He says, I thought it was interesting uh, take from Peter Schiff to convert gains into gold current cryptocurrency. Uh, yeah, oh, that's interesting. I, I don't know. Do, have you watched the Peter Schiff? I assume he's talking about on London Real. Oh, is this Brandon on here? I think it's Bill. Brandon. Um, oh. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So I, uh, no, I haven't watched that. I haven't. Yeah, I haven't either. But that is interesting because that's kind of what we're talking about. Then you you can throw gold in the mix here or a gold cryptocurrency. Um, oof, yeah, it can get kind of crazy. Um, it oh, it's Brandon. Brand, it is Brandon. <laughs> okay, cool. Thanks, Brandon. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Um, yeah, it, this is kind of an interesting little uh, rabbit hole we got down. <laughs> you know, really, this is this is this is kind of the deep stuff. I love talking about this, but it's it's right on the fringe of being able to sort of really grasp it because we're we talked we're adding a lot of concepts like macro and currencies and some economics and financial stuff. So you really went for it this time, Brianna. Look at you go. <laughs> you dove dove into the deep end. <laughs> I did. I was I was prepared this time, so I'm bummed. My I'm a little bit bummed. I'm not going to lie that my camera's dragging but i know i think i was prepared with my content <laughs> yes it was good stuff good stuff so hopefully hopefully it was pretty clear i think um you know you did fade in and out but the gist of it i was watching the gist of it i think people were getting so and i think we uh i think we got we got the gist of it so yeah good stuff good stuff all right all right let's see what you got let's see what i got okay let's see what i got all right, so here's my Coinbase article. Let's see, okay, I'm trying to get this. How do I get it bigger? There we go, boom, boom. Boom, okay, cool. Uh, so this, this uh, so Coinbase is getting sued all over the place and because they're the big guys on the block and it's interesting because the regulators are kind of going after them because there's the big guys on the block and they're easy. They're an easy target, and so. But here's an interesting thing: they they got sued by a disgruntled customer. So it says Coinbase, a Coinbase customer is suing the San Francisco-based exchange for five million for failing to properly secure customer accounts and flouting, which is a cool word federal securities laws, among other allegations. The lawsuit filed last week, which represents over 100 people, claims that the biggest cryptocurrency exchange in the U.S. locked the users locked users out of their accounts for extended periods of time, 
harming them financially. Interesting. Yes, this happens. Okay, man, we can just sue anybody for anything. I mean, you know, I'm sure, I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure in the fine print, they're like, can't be responsible to have the network up 100%. I mean, no network is up 100% of the time, uh, but just isn't. Contrary to uh, its representations, Coinbase does not properly employ standard practices to keep consumers' accounts secure, the lawsuit reads. And Coinbase improperly and unreasonably locks out consumers from accessing their accounts and funds, either for extended periods of time or permanently. So again, this is just stuff that's in the lawsuit, and I just I just think it's kind of funny. It's why I want to read it out. The plaintiffs allege the exchange crashed during times of market volatility, which does happen to crypto exchanges. Oh, and by the way, editorial here, and it happens in Wall Street. It happens everywhere, making it difficult for users to withdraw cash. Coinbase's users' growth has outpaced its ability to provide the account services and protections it promises to consumers, the lawsuit adds. The lawsuit further claims that the plaintiff's assets were vulnerable to theft. Wow, that's sort of a litany. That's just kind of like piling on. I mean, you know, just anything they can think of that might be, you know, not good for, for them, they just kind of threw into this lawsuit. And it just, I don't know, it, it just rubs me the wrong way. It's just like, it's kind of like just greediness, you know. Um, uh, every single one of these things are, in my opinion, petty. Now, that being said, I'm kind of on a crusade to have crypto grow up. And on the other side, mostly in DeFi or in other decentralized areas, to put out really to put out better code so that we so that we don't get hacked as much. So the code doesn't get hacked as much. But this is not that. This is a different situation. Uh, altogether. This is the a centralized exchange. Everybody gets what it is. It's how to onboard, you know, your fiat into crypto. And there are multiple ways to m move your crypto off of this centralized exchange into your own custody, you know. So don't be whining <laughs> about, um, you know, Coinbase going down when you should know better. If you're that worried about it, put it in a cold wallet, right? What do you think, Brianna? Yeah, you know, it kind of reminds me of the person who pours the water on the floor at the grocery store and then pretends <laughs> right. to slip on it. Right. <laughs> and those, those people exist everywhere. I mean, yep. there are people who they'll find a way and they will go after, you know, however they can. And who knows? I mean, this even I, I even could see this as well. I go, I go too far. I was going to say a setup as somebody who wants to just get Coinbase bad rap, bad rap, but. That's how far I go sometimes. You never know. And well, yeah, no. I agree. We know that there are actors out there, yeah, that will, competitors that are trying to, you know, give people a bad, bad their competitors, you know, a bad name. Order. I don't know. Anyways, it's, so it's interesting because they're getting hit on all sides. You know, the, the, uh, the government is definitely attacking them. And then you've got this thing kind of piling on. So I don't know. I just thought it was interesting, but really silly. Moving on. What else have I got? Okay, here we go. This is, um, okay, so I kind of just have them random here today as I pull them up. Okay, so they actually, uh, so Coinbase 
and this is awesome because you know they're the ones that are that seem to be taking a lot of the heat from uh, regulators. Um, they're like, look, here's we have a, this petition that that they want us all to get involved and to basically, you know, say, hey, wake up, we want regulation, but you can't just go willy nilly it, which is what's happening now. They're just kind of taking little cases and and going after it. There's no general guidelines and rules about what's a security and not and what they can do or not. So let's read a little bit of this. It says, Coinbase filed a petition asking the SEC to begin rulemaking on digital asset securities. The existing rules for securities just do not work for digital assets. Our petition calls on the SEC to develop a workable regulatory framework for digital asset securities guided by formal procedures and a public notice and comment process rather than arbitrary enforcement or guidance developed behind closed doors. That just says it right there. And this is, you know, maybe along with this other article, it's like Coinbase, you know, is trying to help us all move into crypto. And someone's got to sort of take the lead and be the big guy out there. And I get it. So they're, you know, taking the shots, but this makes a lot of sense. And I think that we in the crypto uh, communities should definitely get behind this because it is stifling, you know, when when creators in blockchain technologies and projects, if they are afraid that they're going to get busted, they're not going to be more willing to actually uh, promote and create projects out there. And it's just confusing. It's almost like, okay, you if there's no guidance, then, you know, what are you going to do? And it's just not really fair that then people get, you know, slapped around and shut down. And as investors... You know, we get it too because we invest in a project that we really believe in and think is going to be really good, and then it gets shut down. We all lose in that case. Um, today, there's a robust. So this is a little bit about I think what's in the petition. I'm not going to read all of it, but I just thought this first part was kind of it talked a little bit more about it. it says uh, so. This is from Coinbase's uh, perspective, um, and there's your guy again, Farrar Shiraz, <laughs> chief policy officer. Today, there are robust uh, is a robust crypto market in the US. The market includes thousands of different digital assets, crypto companies, and digital digitalized financial products. And it's regulated at every level of government, including by multiple federal agencies in the United States. Yet, despite the growth that has happened in recent years, close examination reveals a glaring deficiency in this market. Even with billions of dollars invested uh, toward crypto innovation and the passage of more than 13 years since the introduction of Bitcoin, there is still no meaningful crypto securities securities markets in the United States. So, um, yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it's kind of interesting that, that we have both been talking a lot about Coinbase today. Um, and uh, it's, it, you know, because it's the big guy. So, yeah, any comments yeah, on that, Brianna? Yeah. Um, I love that Coinbase is trying to help guide this. It's, it's exactly what I was hoping for. And I'm surprised. I'm so glad that it's happening, whether or not they'll yeah. take the feedback or not. Um, that the people who know what's going on to help guide this into making the right regulations. I, I used to work for a company as a job coach, an employment specialist, and I didn't mm -hmm. work directly for the state, but I, we contracted our work out through the state and the state made the guidelines for our work, yet they had never done any, a piece of the work in a day mm -hmm. of a day of their life. Right. And it was just, it was just constant backtracking 
constant trying to find a middle ground. It didn't make any sense. And um, that's kind of how I feel about the policymakers here, the people who make the regulations um, should be very, very well-versed before making regulations. I almost feel like they need a complete, um, you know, I don't know a lot about securities or about commodities, those types of things, but it's almost like this is a whole new class of itself. Like it doesn't need to fall within those frameworks and have its own guidelines. It is. And I think the other thing that's so frustrating is Gary Gensler, the head, the chief of the SEC, um, worked in the crypto industry. He's very familiar with crypto. And yet there's something going on that he is not pushing for standard regulation. I don't know what it is, but that's really crazy to me. Um, we should be in a great situation. When he was appointed chair of the SEC, I think the crypto community rejoiced in that, but it hasn't worked out that way. Very strange. I don't get it. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's see. Let's talk a little merge. Uh, this is that funny article. This is a this is an interesting article that. Um, oh, let's see if I can get it even bigger. There we go. This is gonna talk. I'm gonna. This is just gonna be gobbledygook from all of us. But I think it. I I, th- I find it sort of interesting. You can tell me what you think. But okay. So the merge has official kickoff date. But here we're going to see there's multiple stages and there have been multiple stages, but here's all the crazy stuff. And actually, I'm sure this isn't even all of it. This still has to happen for this merge to be completed. We know that there are different test networks out there. So this Bellatrix upgrade begins its final uh, countdown. And I I really love that. It's like, so it's September 6th. This Bellatrix upgrade will be completed at some point. And so what this is, I think, okay. So the Ethereum Foundation disclosed Wednesday that, that the official parameters for the long-awaited merge blockchain upgrade to proof of stake consensus, that's what, what this is really all about. Um, proof of stake is a method of integrity in the blockchain, ensuring that users of cryptocurrency can mint coins they didn't earn. It's considered to be more energy efficient than Ethereum's current proof of work system, which we know is also used in Bitcoin and has great security, but is slow and causes great fees. So Ethereum wants to break out of this, use proof of stake, which you know eliminates that. But it kind of rocks the whole security and consensus world. And so it's been done on other blockchains for sure, but nobody has the security, nobody can say that it's never been hacked other than Bitcoin because it uses proof of work. But we all know that something has to change. So this is a big, big deal. So this Bellatrix upgrade will be active on the Beacon Chain, which we know is that big test network that's been running proof of uh, stake um, on September 6th. And it is responsible for setting the rest of the merge. So this it's gonna come in these big stages. Now here's what's funny. The activation is scheduled for Epoch, 144896 on the beacon chain, which should occur around 1134.47 UTC. After this, the terminal total difficulty, TTD, value triggered, will merge and blow this humongous number, 58, whatever. The TTD is expected to be reached somewhere between September 6th, or excuse me, September 10th and September 20th. And this is what I find so funny because this is all based on blocks being transferred within the blockchain, right? And they call these things epochs, which are 
so many blocks that get transacted. And that's what really goes on. Of course, you know, we don't really understand that, but I just find it interesting because we come up with dates and the way they come up with dates, because everything is scheduled on how many blocks are transferred and when, they estimate that um, that this particular block sequence will happen somewhere between the 10th and the 20th, and they're sort of aiming for September 15th and 16th. So I just find that so interesting because, you know, we're just not used to that. You know, we're like, oh, it's going to, you know, we're going to turn something on at a certain time. Well, that's not how it works in the blockchain. It's all based on these blocks, and then we interpret it, you know, into daytime or, you know, days. So it's during this period, the difficulty level will increase to the point where eventually proof of work crypto mining will no longer be possible. I find that really interesting. The way they're just ramping this up and as this as the blocks go into this and we're moving more and more towards this proof of um, proof of stake. It's like, I don't know, it just gets harder and harder to mine. So the miners are just going to get phased out just like this. And then it talks again about this this uh, execution layer and the new consensus layer and transition to the new proof of stake consensus protocol. So it, it, it's just, I just, it's just interesting the way this the way this really works. So the merge comes after a series of dress rehearsals that tested transition from proof of work to proof of stake on multiple test networks environments, including the Ropston, Sapolia, and Gorelli. I, I don't know if I got those right, but I'm gonna see if I can enlarge this. Yeah, can you see that pretty yes. good? Okay, yeah, cool. looks good. Yeah, so so this is all the stuff that's going on. You know, people just talk about the merge, this and everything, but like, and I'm sure this is just even a fraction of really what's going on behind the scenes. But I just thought it'd be kind of cool to kind of take a look behind it a little bit and see all the stuff that's going on. And the thing to know is, you know, these test networks have been going on for years. They've been testing proof of stake for years on these test networks. So the hope is that we've got all the bugs out and then they're going to slowly start to merge these multiple test networks and just like pull them in slowly into the full Ethereum, you know, blockchain. And, you know, so that makes a lot of sense to me. And hopefully, you know, this process is going to allow it to run smoothly and, and uh, not have any problems. But no one knows if anybody knows anything about software. Um, you never really know until it's completely live and is stuff starts to happen that you just couldn't even imagine your mind or simulate, you know. Um, and so that is that is the question um, that still could happen. But you can see here that like June 8th, you know, the this Ropeston uh, network, you know, they've been messing with this and then July and, you know, all this has been going on. So that's why we've been talking about the merge for a long time. And it's why years ago, when they started doing these test nets, they were talking about the merge then. And that's why people, I think, in my opinion, kind of are, they kind of joke about it now. It's like, oh yeah, we've been talking about the merge for years. Well, this is why. And I'm glad, you know, because this is a big deal and we don't want this thing to go wrong. So, you know, when people sort of badmouth it and say, well, I don't believe it's going to happen. They've been talking about this. Well, it's not for, they're not just winging it. They're doing the right thing here. And I think. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. It takes, it takes a while to build the rocket, huh? That's the That's thing. Right. It takes, I like, I like the rocket used in the picture and it, you, once yeah. it blasts off, we'll see it kind of, like you said, That's really interesting. Um, yeah. You know, there's something that happens this reminds me of the first time I ever read on the blockchain 
trying to understand what it meant. Um, just taking in that information that you just presented there because it's so beyond me, but it's very interesting. Um, I haven't looked at it from that way that we have to wait and that's the expected time. I had no idea that that's when those dates were established. So, or how they were established. Yeah. How they, that, that's what I find interesting. It's like they're blocks, you know, and you, you'll, you'll hear, I hear this word, you know, this, uh, you know, an epic, like it's going to take an epoch, I think it's pronounced. And that is just so many blocks. They get, they, you know, they break it down. And that's, I don't know if that's computer language or talk or whatever, but a lot of it doesn't make sense. And not that it really matters that much, but I just personally find it sort of interesting um, because there, there's so many levels of different people that are, this is going to affect and, and people are watching it and talking about it and just the, all the talking heads and all, all the people, you know, nobody really talks about that kind of stuff. And I, and I guess maybe you shouldn't because it would just lose everybody, but um, this is this is a big deal. What I wanted to do, and hopefully I'll have time to do this by next week, um, is kind of take, not, so that's interesting, I think, but basically I'll also look at all the different uh, ways that now the merge is gonna affect people from staking to, um, oh gosh, there's, there, so Brian Brian Rose talked about this um, a little bit last week on our call, Brianna, where, um, or at least on I don't know on some some channel where, if Ethereum becomes really solid and staking becomes this solid mechanism that we can earn interest, it will now become its own. Um, Gosh, how did he put it? See, I'm losing it. This is a financial thing. It's sort of like a, um, an, like an exchange rate or something where you just have this stable rate of you can earn this in staking and then uh, you can have, you know, you go higher or lower, but there's always this stable rate. I, I, that's about how all I can sort of explain. But, but it's basically taking something that's in the traditional financial world that we don't really have now in crypto and this staking feature, if it becomes just very standard, will become this standard financial measurement that we can do that is used in traditional finance. So um, there's just lots of fascinating things that are going to come out of this merge and Ethereum being so much different than Bitcoin, you know, and, th and that's the thing, you know, Bitcoin, you know, really right now is a store of value. Maybe someday it can be used as, you know, a mechanism to transfer value. But Ethereum is where all the cool stuff is. Really, you know, that's where, you know, all of this, I'm not even talking about the smart contracts, but I think I have something here about staking. Um, gosh, I'm not going to get into this. So I'll have to leave this next time because this is, it's it's a little bit too convoluted, but, but staking is really interesting because, like I said, that's where you can, so it's basic staking, I'll just try to start this a little bit, is yeah, where you now become part of the validation, right? So you're, there's no more miners, but the way that transactions get validated in these proof of uh, stake blockchains is that people take their crypto, like they're, when they buy ether, and they put it back into the network and they stake it or put it up so that the network now can use that as a mechanism to confer. So the bottom line is, is that if you're a validator, and you've got some software on your computer and you basically, if you've got a bunch of ETH or of your value, your money, your crypto, 
staked in the protocol, you're not going to try to do any shady things because if you mess it up, you're going to lose your money. You're going to lose your, your ETH, right? So it's more complicated than that, but that's the general idea. So you become a validator, you stake your 32 ETH or whatever it is, that's what it takes to become a true validator. But because crypto is so cool and it, you know, people try to, you can create value of, in lots of different ways, they've split that up. And so basically now you can become just, you can like partner up with a validator and say, look, I only want to give you 0.1% or 0.1 ETH, you know, 100 bucks or whatever. But I want to get some interest. And so you can now take part of that and you can still get interest for staking your, you know, 1.1, you know, percent ETH and you'll get 4% or something. And different um, blockchains that do proof of stake have different amounts of interest that you can earn. And I assume it depends on, there's lots of variables like the risk, how risky it is, or, you know, and that's what I really want to kind of lay out. It's like, you know, like doing the staking at different, like with different protocols and, um, you know, different, so what's happened is there's this whole third party that's stopped, that's cropped up. Businesses that basically just do fractional staking. And so basically there are these companies that say, look, we're just going to aggregate all these all this staking and make it really simple for people to just stake and get a percentage. And then we'll sort of do all this stuff in the background. We'll, we'll, we'll organize the validators. That's good and bad because that, there's this sort of behind the scenes thing that we don't really know what's going on. But on the other hand, it makes it easy to stake. So that's sort of the the interesting thing about crypto that that I find is happening, and hopefully this makes sense. That there are crypto is complicated, and we know that to have more adoption, it needs to be more to be simpler. So companies pop up, and this is the whole CFI thing in a way. It kind of rings of that, where companies popped up and they said, look, let's we'll hide all the crazy crypto stuff from you. But we can will help you earn uh, crypto uh, percentages because you know it, you can make a lot of percentage. We'll hide the complexity for you. I don't know if that's good or bad because then you as a user don't really know what's going on. When things go bad, you're like, what happened? And and two, sometimes they, if they don't show everybody what's going on on the on the blockchain, they can get into trouble and then they go default. And now people are in trouble. So it's an interesting catch-22. Do you understand what I'm talking about? And what do you think about that concept? So it's almost like having, maybe not exact, but almost like having a funds manager, right? Mm. You're you're trusting yeah. somebody else. You're trusting somebody else with where you're going to be putting. Th- I mean, in some ways, it's kind of like that. Um, and anytime there's more people coming in between you and the actual action, between holding your funds, there's going to be more risk involved, Um, which is kind of what we're trying to get away from. It's what we're trying to get away from with, with everything. And that's what you said, like you said, it's so complicated because we want to get away from that or a large number of us do who understand what this is all about so that we can actually take that true ownership and um, have the control. Um, So I guess it's all risky the minute we let it leave our hands and put it into those companies that kind of serve somewhat as a fund manager. I don't know. That's kind of the way I can see it. Or no, I like that. Do. I actually really like that. That's a good way to put it. It's, it's like that. And and um, I totally agree with the way you put that. And I think I want to bring it around to, I get that. 
and there is going to be a certain need for that, but it's also there, like you said, it, the inherent risks in that. So what I like to do, and it's what I do in my Crypto for the Rest of Us Academy, is I wanna teach people the basics of what crypto is and how to actually bring your fiat money into crypto and then secure it on your own. And from a base level, invest in Bitcoin, put some money in either staking or some liquidity pools, earn some interest, but on a very basic level, so that you so that you are in control and you know what's going on. You're in, in mostly in control. Once people learn that, um, we'll learn that. And this is kind of where I am actually. So I've gotten I've got money in in there in these fairly tame and secure areas. I know where the money is. I know or the crypto is. I've got some in cold wallet. I've got some in hot wallet. I've got some on the exchanges, and I know where it is. And now the next level is, okay, I want to level that up and now take a little bit more risk now that I've got my base plan in, in, in place. So that's really what I'll keep talking about because that's sort of, you know, what I'm trying to teach and, and bring, you know, to people in crypto. It's like, again, don't just go willy-nilly into crypto. Have a plan. Learn what crypto is, what's, what's good and what's bad, and then how to be as safe as possible and get a plan down and start to invest so that you can grow your money long term. And then once you have that plan down, then you can start to play a little more. You can take a little bit more risk and then you can start to play with some of the maybe more fun or riskier areas. So, um, yeah, that's kind of where I'd like to leave it today if we could. Well, that's a good note to leave it on. And we're getting closer and closer to your course being launched, which is exciting. And I'm sure there will be many people who benefit from it. I might need to sign up <laughs> just to fine tune my skills. Um, but no, that's, yeah. that's, it's education is everything and the knowledge is everything. Um, and so thanks to you for bringing that out there. It's going to be great. And, Thank you. um, yeah, yeah it's going to be great. I'm looking forward to that. And I liked your articles today. Yeah, I liked yours too. And again, we, you know, we teamed up on Coinbase. You know, like we say, we just it, it's fun to see which articles, you know, we're going to we're going to put in there. It's, it's interesting. You know, we talked about the merge. I talked a little bit more, but, you know, the merge is really everything. And yet we kind of both pick Coinbase and like kind of the securities and stuff, to, you know, to talk about a lot. But I think we'll talk about the merge, you know, continue a little bit here and there. And, you know, I'm going to try to unpack a little bit more. And again, for me. There's so many ways to make yield, to make interest, and staking is one of them. And there's lots of stuff around staking, and it it kind of goes around the merge too. Even though you can stake in any proof of uh, stake protocol, so Cardano and Solana and Avalanche and all of them, you know. So, um, all right, well, cool. Well, thanks. I know we went a little bit over today, but uh, we had a lot to talk about because we had to catch up from last week a little bit. So uh, it's good to be in the Pacific Northwest. So hopefully, guys, we're going to do a live. I'm going to hopefully trek over to Idaho maybe or Brianna might come over here to Montana and we'll do a live, live, together, live. I don't know what you call that. Live, double live. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. I'm, I'm game for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Brandon, thanks for being here. Thanks, Brandon. All right, see people. You guys on yeah. So um, spread the news. Spread the news on crypto for the rest of us uh, and uh, Brianna's um, 
Purified People and Brianna, uh, Crypto Talk with Brianna and Scott. We just we love doing this, but we want to get some more, um, you know, some some people talking to us and giving us questions and stuff. So let's spread the word and, and get it out there. So thanks again, and we'll see you next week. Bye, Brianna. Bye.